Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. There have been protests over the last two weeks in dozens of Bay Area cities, and most of them aren't happening in the big cities that get a lot of the attention. They're car caravans in El Cerrito, marches in Union City, and it's been night after night of protest in Santa Rosa. There's been nothing like this. Like, this, this is like nothing I've ever seen in Santa Rosa. Gabe Maline lives in Santa Rosa, and he's KQED Arts and Culture senior editor. He covered eight straight nights of protests in the city, which has its own history of police violence. Today, what this national movement looks like in Santa Rosa. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. I was born and raised in Santa Rosa, uh, third generation. I've never wanted to leave. I love this city so much. And I'm aware of its reputation as a very quiet, sleepy, wine country weekend destination type place. And because you've lived in Santa Rosa your whole life, how would you characterize the protests that have happened in your city over the last couple of weeks? The protests have been really remarkable. And they're, they're not without precedent. There's been protests in Santa Rosa before, certainly. The first one I can remember going to downtown was in 1991 for uh, the Gulf War. Uh, but there's, no, there's been nothing like this. Like, <laughs> this, this is like nothing I've ever seen in Santa Rosa. I mean, we're on like 12 or 13 days now with just about every day people out in the streets. The early days were, <laughs> were wild. I mean, uh, you never knew what you were going to see when you turned your head. Um, the, you know, people walking straight up to police and saying, we want this to be a peaceful protest. We, we're, we're not going to be violent. 
the first night, people taking over the freeway multiple times. You know, that, that has not happened in Santa Rosa before. Sideshows right downtown at the corner of 4th and Mendocino and Courthouse Square. That's never happened before. People climbing on lampposts, people climbing on awnings, people dancing in the streets. The people are almost all under the age of 25. I would say like almost half people of color. Um, that is a population in Santa Rosa that has been hidden <laughs> for a long time. And uh, when you're young, told that you have no power. And they are exercising their power. And it is incredible. Why did you feel the need to come down here? We're trying to like voice our opinions and everything, you know, trying to pretty much spread equality, I guess. You can't just stay at home right now. Right, is what you're right. Saying. You gotta at least come out here and show our respect and, you know, like show our Black Lives Matter. You know, there's just a lot of chaos and joy and sadness and rage and passion directed in a very specific place which is the structures of systemic racism and police brutality, which Santa Rosa is no stranger to. Santa Rosa, like many other smaller cities where protests are happening, also has a history of police shootings that didn't end up you know, getting the national attention that we're seeing right now with some of the more recent police shootings. Can you talk about Andy Lopez and the role his death played in what you saw last week? Andy Lopez was a 13-year-old boy who was walking along Moreland Avenue one day holding a fake gun. It had the orange tip uh, cut off, the orange tip signifying that it was fake cut off. A two sheriff's deputies saw him, pulled over. One deputy got out, told him to put down the gun. Uh, within the span of 10 seconds, that deputy uh, filled him with seven bullets, killing him on the sidewalk, on the spot, dead. He didn't have a chance to see who was even calling out to him. The, the fallout from it uh, was very predictable. Um, you know, the deputy said he feared for his life. Um, the department put him on paid leave. Uh, the district attorney, you know, reported that Andy Lopez had smoked weed and that the deputy had acted within the law. It went to a grand jury, which is predominantly older and white, and uh, they declined to review the report. Eric Gelhouse went back to work and got a promotion, and that's the way the system works. And for a lot of Andy Lopez's classmates, who are now these, you know, 18 to 25-year-old kids marching in the streets, um, that, was, that was a real instructional moment about the way the world works. Did you see Andy Lopez's name during the protests in Santa Rosa? The very first night of protests up here, the march went to the police station in Santa Rosa. And the first thing that happened was a kid whipped out a can of spray paint and spray painted Andy Lopez all across the front doors of the Santa Rosa Police Department. One night of these protests would have been Andy Lopez's 20th birthday. People were singing happy birthday to him in the streets. 
What did you see the police doing at these protests? What role did they take? I saw a lot of disconcerting activity by the police, you know, I, especially after they enacted a curfew. They arrested so many people um, for being out after curfew. Some of which were just there to give protesters a ride home afterwards, or some of whom were just got caught in the traffic when they kettled everybody into an intersection and arrested everyone. Certainly tear gas, you know, that's banned in war. Rubber bullets, there's been three people in Santa Rosa who were shot in the face by rubber bullets. One person had their teeth knocked out. The police, for all their concern over property and vandalism and everything, you know, uh, they shot out a window of a business downtown with a rubber bullet. And when the business owner got in touch with them to complain about it, they denied doing it. It wasn't until he was able to find a video of it happening that they fessed up to it and agreed to pay for it. It sounds like you witnessed a lot of different things. I mean, you yourself were tear gassed, I know, by Santa Rosa police. What surprised you the most in the nights you were out? What surprised me the most wasn't getting tear gassed a few times and wasn't, you know, having rubber bullets firing around me. What surprised me the most was the way that these protesters really policed themselves. That, um, you know, the so-called bad apples, you know, got pushed out <laughs> by people who really wanted to keep these demonstrations focused on George Floyd. On Breonna Taylor. On police brutality. One of the most incredible things I saw was the, the one case of, of somebody stealing merchandise from a store through the broken windows. About a block away, he got intercepted by a group of young women. They took the clothes back from him and walked them back and returned them to the store through the broken windows. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, it was like, don't do that. Don't do that. There was just a lot of like, we're here for a reason. You know, you're hurting the cause. Get out of here. And, I, and that was really incredible. You mentioned in the beginning that the youth, the young people, are, are kind of the ones leading the protests, especially in Santa Rosa. And I guess it makes me hopeful that there are more people standing up to oppression, to systemic racism. How did it make you feel being out there, taking all this in? The fight is long. You know, Santa Rosa has had uh, a, a long and ugly history of uh, racist acts. There's a, there was a large influx of settlers from Missouri. Uh, Santa Rosa's newspaper supported the Confederacy during the Civil War. One of the last known lynchings in the West happened here in 1920. There was a Nazi rally here in 1978. In the 1920s, there was a sign hung above 4th and Mendocino, right in the heart of town, that said, the Chinese must go. That's awful history that we have to reckon with here in Santa Rosa. And when I think of the protesters in that same exact intersection at 4th and Mendocino, protesting in the way that they know how, you know, singing, dancing, chanting, doing donuts, kneeling in the intersection, begging and praying for a better world, I just hope to God they never stop. 
So here's what protesters calling to defund the police are up against in Santa Rosa. A local city measure passed in 2016 guarantees police receive at least 34.2% of the general fund's annual spending. Not to mention, it'll take six of the seven city council members to vote to decrease police funding. And two of those council members are former law enforcement officers. So even though Santa Rosa Mayor Tom Schwedhelm says he's getting a ton of phone calls to defund the police, it would still take a lot to actually do it. Thanks to Gabe Moline, senior editor for KQED Arts and Culture. A lot of the sound that you heard in this episode is from Gabe's Twitter feed, which has more videos and more photos from the protests in Santa Rosa over the last several days. You can find him at G Moline, that's M-E-L-I-N-E. And you can find us at Bay KQED. This episode was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena and Erica Cruz Guevara. Our editor is Alan Montecilio. KQED's leadership team includes Jessica Blachek, Erica Aguilar, Vinny Tong, Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadayama. That's it from the Bay. Talk to you next week. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.